Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this good morning that you've given us. Once again, Lord, we, we are grateful for this time that we have together. Um, Lord, as we consider this topic of worship, um, I pray, Lord, that um, it wouldn't be just a um, academic discussion about something out there, Lord, but that it would genuinely be um, our hearts moved towards you, Lord. Um, may we actually truly worship you this morning. And Lord, we love you, and um, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our topic today is worship, and um, Dan and I have been talking a lot about this, um, about how uh, central worship is to a church, you know, um, uh, the style of music, the way you approach this whole topic of worship really ends up um, being a a big part of the culture of a church, and so um, I think this is a really important discussion. Um, I read an article here recently. It was put out by the Gospel Coalition, and it was about the um, resurgence of Barnes and Noble Noble bookstores. So I used to work for um, Barnes and Noble years ago. Some of you guys know that. I was a textbook manager for Barnes and Noble college bookstores. Um, And there were, like, at the time, like 600 college bookstores across the country that Barnes and Noble owned and managed. And so I was in that part. But then the other part, Barnes and Noble, we would hear little bit about you know from time to time and um, they were not doing well um, I remember the the numbers at one point um, it was it was like I, I, I want to say it was like that particular year and this was a lot of years ago um, Barnes & Noble superstores had taken in 800 million dollars in um, sales for books um, at the same time or, or total sales 800 million dollars at the same time Bar- or Amazon had sold $88 billion worth of books that same year. And, um, I mean, their, their sales were, like, so far off the charts, and, and Barnes & Noble was really struggling. You guys know Borders went under, um, if you even remember Borders. <laughs> there, there were quite a few bookstores that went under. Um, but Barnes & Noble, it was looking like, you know, they're never going to make it. And for a long time, they were trying everything under the sun to try to try to survive and so they're selling toys and they're selling lego sets and they're selling coffee and they're selling magazines they're selling everything except books you know because um, they're just trying to stay afloat Um, so anyway what's interesting is here um, recently barnes noble has been kind of coming back and um, they hired this guy out of the uk to be their new ceo james daunt and um and here's what he says he says If you want to sell music, you must love those songs. If you want to succeed in journalism, you must love those newspapers. If you want to succeed in movies, you must love the cinema. But this kind of love is rare nowadays. And the article goes on to talk about how this guy, James Daunt, loves books. And he had run a bookstore in the UK and done really, really well. And so now he's taking Barnes & Noble and they're going back to their first love. (laughs) <laughs> They're going back to actually selling books instead of all the other stuff. And so they're, they're doing really well now, um, comparatively, <laughs> compared to where they were. They're, they're not going to go out of business, in, in other words. Um, so the, the article goes on to talk about how church can lose focus. And it says, pastors, we are not baristas. We are not managers, marketers, or speechmakers. We are worshipers. 
And unless we're filled with ardor and devotion for our task of leading our congregations into an encounter with the living God, our churches will never become an oasis of God adoration in a parched and weary land of false worship. Um, yeah, and there's a lesson in the Barnes & Noble turnaround, remember your first love. So um, I thought that was a good reminder, right? There's a lot we can get into. Um, you know, we're, last week we talked about all these activities we want to be involved in, and I think these are good things. I think that they are part of our attempt to um, further the church, but I think it's also really important that we remember what the church is all about, and it's about worshiping the living God. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to start with that. Um, we're going to talk today about this topic of worship, and um, worship is, is something that I've been kind of trying to study and understand for quite a while. Um, uh, more than 10 years ago, um, I just asked the Lord um, to help me understand worship, help, help me um, both in an intellectual way and also at a heart level to really understand and appreciate appreciate worship and so um, moved up here and uh, Jacob and I were working on this discipleship booklet that he had put together and there wasn't a chapter on worship and so I spent some time working on that and then um, uh, years later I went on a mission trip and ended up teaching Um, they they had assigned me the topic of biblical worship so I got to uh, dive into it again there Um, I uh, spent a while studying the Psalms and really diving into worship. And so through all of this, um, just trying to understand, um, I've shared with you on there my definition of worship. Um, Some of you have maybe heard this from me before, but worship is a response of the heart to the goodness of God expressed both individually and corporately through praise, obedience, and participation in his covenant. Um, So that first part, I I want to begin in Luke uh, Luke 7, and I was just, we'll call it coincidence, or maybe it's God's leading. I was just coincidentally reading this this morning, mm-hmm. and um, thought, you know, <laughs> I can't say it much better than this. So, um, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Would anybody like to read Uh, so you said 36, 7, 36? Yes, 36 through the end of the chapter there. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt to both. Now which of them will have lo- will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. 
You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in, faith. Go in peace. I love this story. Um, two debtors, one owes 500, the other owes 50. And who loves him more? Um, yeah, I, I think so. So in my little definition here, worship is a response of the heart to the goodness of God. You see that with this woman. She is responding to what God has done for her. And because she recognizes what she has received, she is incredibly grateful and is pouring out this expression of love to Jesus, this, this worship. Um, I think all of us ought to feel that way, um, but not all of us necessarily recognize our, our debt as clearly as she did. And so, um, yeah, true worship is understanding what God has done. God is the initiator. God is the one who, who took the first step in this relationship. Um, first and second and third and <laughs> etc in this relationship and we are simply responding to what he's done for us and so um, three ways that we respond to him um, praise obedience and participation in his covenant praise is the one that we always talk about right so um, what is worship well worship is what you do on Sunday morning when you get together and you sing songs that church has really great worship what do we mean by that well, we probably don't mean what they do during the week. We, we mean like, oh yeah, they've got like an awesome worship team and lights and whatever. Um, so it's, I, I think it's um, helpful to see these three different aspects of worship. So um, I'm going to just read through each of these passages. Um, I have them on my paper so that we don't have to spend a lot of time turning to them. So... Um, let me just read through each one, and I'm going to point out different phrases that I think are really helpful here. So as we look at the topic of praise, um, 1 Peter 2 is talking about who we are as a people. And it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be proclaiming the excellencies of him. And so that sometimes is through song. Um, Sometimes it's just by talking about how good God is, right? Um, So praise isn't just singing, but it can also be proclamation. Um, Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Um, That phrase, whom I created for my glory, um, being the key. God is intending for us to bring glory to him. That's, That's his, one of, at least, his stated purposes for creating us, was that we would bring glory to him. Um, Psalm 92, 1 through 4, says, It is good 
to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. And so um, there is a long, rich history of singing praises to the Lord. Psalms are full of it. Um, The church has been full of singing praises to the Lord. A couple couple things about singing. Um, Beyond the fact that you were created (laughs) for this, um, singing is really good at expressing our affections. Um, I I could teach for a long time, and it's not going to come across as emotionally as if we sang together, right? It's really good at at expressing affection. It's also really good at awakening affections. Um, So Jonathan Edwards has uh, kind of a famous quote that the duty of singing praises to God has a tendency to move our affections, that that it helps us to love God more, right? Um, And then, then another thing about singing is uh, songs get stuck in your head. Songs are memorable. And um, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. (laughs) But um, songs have a way of sticking with you. And so um, the Gettys, um, Keith and Kristen Getty, say that um, singing takes Sunday's truths into Monday. Um, It helps us to remember those things and take them with us throughout the week. Um, So Dan's going to have a lot to say about this. Um, uh, He's been very intentional with um, considering our music selection and all of that. Um, One one thing I'll just mention with singing is music selection is hard for whoever's in charge of doing that. Um, It's hard for a number of reasons. Um, Let's say the topic of the sermon this week is mercy. And so Dan wants to pick a song on mercy. Well, Dan probably knows 30 or 40 songs that have something to do with mercy. And he has to refine that down to the four or five songs, whatever we're going to sing this week, right? So he's saying no to a whole bunch of different songs. Um, But then there's also the fact that um, every one of us has opinions. (laughs) And so it's, it's really easy for the worship leader, I know Greg occasionally feels this way, to get overwhelmed because everybody has their opinion about how things ought to be. And the worship leader has to make that final call, right? He has to make the decision. No, this is what we're going to say. And so, um, yeah, so I think we need to be gracious with Dan. Um, feel free to, to give input, but just recognize that Dan may say no to your input because <laughs> that's his job. And so he can't do everything. We're not going to have rap music and polka on the same Sunday. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to work. Back in Lisa's reign. Yeah. <laughs> so we, she had us do lots with the Gettys, and then she had us read through their book and stuff because she was really wanted to focus that it was congregational worship and yeah. not just any old song that you hear on the radio, that it needs to be a congregational worship song. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So I know they put a yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I know Greg has yeah. continued to put a lot yeah. of thought into it. And yeah, he just doesn't talk about the Gettys all the time. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Lisa was a little obsessed with she the Gettys, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a lot obsessed with the Gettys. Yeah. Um, real quick, so my uh, decision that I made as a church member 
for worship is try to every Sunday tell the worship leader something I like about worship. I don't ever tell them anything I don't like, ever. I just say, wow, the drums sounded amazing today. Or your combination of voices was awesome. Or I loved this song. And then you're still giving input, you know, that you liked that person singing. Or I don't know, I'm being a little too particular with that. But, um, and, but then it's encouraging as well and kind of directive. <laughs> like, that was really awesome because it actually was, you know. Yeah. And then you're building up that person yeah. instead of instead of again telling them I really don't like that song. Why are you? Doing? And also, <laughs> then the service you're listening for a good thing instead yeah. of listening for a bad thing. Yeah, that's good. Okay, everybody needs to encourage Dan. That's the takeaway there. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so praise is important. Um, obedience is important as well. Um, can anybody think of any stories in the Bible where this whole idea of obedience gets pressed into the topic of worship? Worship in particular. I mean, yeah, obviously obedience is important to God, but but with regard to worship, do, does God ever, or can you think of any stories where... I don't get a, like, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the way it's treated in some yeah. certain stories and certain scenarios where they treat it right as a form of worship or where they they don't. Yeah, because yeah, they I mean it was it was a celebration. They're coming into town, they're singing, they're making sacrifices, and poor Uzziah, you know, reaches out and just trying to help. Just trying to just trying to trying to help as they wheel it on a cart the wrong way. Yeah. Um, you said that same one? Yeah, David and the yeah. yeah. Does anybody remember what happened with Saul and this whole topic of worship? Um, so King Saul is supposed to um, kill all the Amalekites. And, um, and, and all their stuff, like kill all the animals and everything. Well, he kills all the Amalekites mostly, except for the king. Brings him back as a trophy. He brings back all these animals you know, and um, Samuel shows up and uh, says, you know, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear, you know, and ultimately says that God is more concerned about obedience than sacrifice and that, um, that yeah, Saul was off base, even though he claimed, you know, I'm going to, the animals are for a sacrifice to, to the Lord, you know, yeah, but that's not what God said. And so, um, yeah, that, that idea of obedience shows up quite a few times. So um, Romans 11, um, if you're going through the book of Romans, it's theology, 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 and then application. But there's a bridge piece um, right between theology and application. Um, you have this spot where Paul stops and praises God for what he's done. And then out of that says, this is what drives our obedience. This is what drives our application. So, Kim, do you want to read that? Sure. So Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable <coughs> his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that imagery of living sacrifices, that our whole life is like a, a sacrifice and offering to the Lord, right? And the way that looks is that we live obediently in ways that he has revealed he wants us to live so that we can honor him. Um, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, so obedience, then, is, is a big part of this. It's a response of the heart to the goodness of God, right? So it's, you know, at times we do it out of duty, but it ought to ultimately be flowing out of uh, a heart that wants to honor the Lord. Um, the third thing here, the participation in his covenant. Let me explain that. So in the Old Testament, if you wanted to worship the Lord, um, there were some very specific things that you had to do. You had to sacrifice animals, which sounds really weird to us. This is worship. I will bring this animal and I will kill it in Jerusalem. Um, you had to stay home and hang out with your family on Saturdays. <laughs> this is part of your worship. You, you don't work. You stay home with your family. Um, you had to not eat pork. This is part of your worship. You do not eat pork. And so there's all these like, really strange pieces of worship for them that are different for us. And the reason they're different for us is we're not under that covenant. We're under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, um, how, do we, how do we apply the new covenant today? What, what do we do with the new covenant today? As a regular part of our worship and practice. Anyone? Worship from the heart? It's true. That is part of the new covenant. Yep. Um, Ezekiel says, you know, no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. That That is absolutely part of it. Well, I'm thinking of like Isaiah. Like, clean through Isaiah, it seemed to. Yeah, yeah. We live by the Spirit, not by the law. Okay, we live by the Spirit, not by the law. I'm thinking of something specific, though. There's a thing that we do, which is yes. not so communion as this, like a. Right. Yeah. Sacrament. So, so the, the communion, the, the reason we do it is it's a reminder of what brought us into this covenant in the first place, right? Um, so, so let me read two passages for you. Um, so Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. Um, this is when Jesus is establishing the Lord's Supper. He says, It says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so that language of the new covenant comes with all these amazing promises, like, like Peggy, you're mentioning, um, that we will have a, a heart that is inclined towards him, that we'll have the spirit indwelling us, that that our sins will be forgiven, like all these amazing promises. Um, and the way that we remember this is through the Lord's Supper. Um, so it's kind of this constant reminder to us. 
Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, Paul's instructing the church there. And he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, it is, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, it's kind of funny that he says this is one bread since, like, how many loaves of bread have been used for communion through the years? <laughs> A lot, right? But what he's getting at is this bread, it's all essentially one thing because it's all pointing to one person, which is Jesus Christ. There's the sacrifice of Jesus represented by this one thing, which is bread, which then represents the unity that we have, right? The unity that we have is rooted in this practice that's rooted in Christ. And so, um, yeah, so there's this unity that the church experiences. And the, the idea, okay, so once again, it's a response of the heart to the goodness of God. What that looks like in a worship service is that you have the proclamation of God's word and then the response of his people. And one of the ways that we respond to God is by once again remembering what Christ has done for us. And it's a really practical way. You know, you do this physical thing that reminds us of what Christ has done for us. And so um, so I think we've talked about a little bit here, but um, what we are leaning towards um, is, is participating in the Lord's Supper every week as a practice um, to continually remind ourselves of the gospel, really. Um, so um, that's kind of the theory, 30,000-foot view there's a lot more that could be said there, but I'm going to stop talking because I want Dan to have lots of time. Um, I, Dan is going to be our worship pastor, um, and so um, Dan's probably got some things to say about worship. So, <laughs> so we won't let Dan have plenty of time and also time for questions if people have questions. Right.